As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. one-hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. Oh, go ahead. J-Pain. Well, I just, I'm just, I'm Light making it up. eye contact with Light everyone. It up. So, you know, let's see. <laughs> Light it up, J-Pain. Do you boys hear that? Hi, I'm Joe. Is this? Give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today. Are we? I hear our favorite song to kick off the episode. Demay. Well, here's the thing. Did you do, Ryan? Here's here's the thing, guys. Is uh. We've had several people write in and ask us to do an entire episode of Joe Knows Turf, and we're not going to do all that today. We're, we we just thought we'd get this one out of the way sooner rather than later because uh, you know the, it's such an extra special one that we're going to do. This is number sixty nine, by the way, and you know in honor of uh, three dudes on the same podcast that nobody really ever would want a sixty nine with, either because of body hair and girth. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, but yeah. Anyway, uh, we're going to do a Jono's Turf here right now and just get this one right out of the way. So, J-Pink, let's go ahead and launch into this one and uh, see what our good friend and triple threat. Oh, oh, oh we're going to watch this one first. Okay, let's watch this one first. Let's watch this, I had this one first. I had this one down as, as the first one. Is that wrong? You're good. Go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> fix poor soil issues. One of the things we need to do is focus on the soil's health by giving it things that promote the organisms inside of it, the earthworms, the microfauna. We need to promote them to do their job better. How we do that is we give the soil organic matter, humic acid, compost, stuff of that nature, and it will help amend that soil and make it a lot better. So when we do have our regular soils, they do go hydrophobic a little bit more just because they don't have the amended properties or kind of stripped of nutrients or the nutrients are all locked up. As we amend them, they really start to perform a lot better and they won't go hydrophobic and cause these places that are dry. It's not because it's into the natural soil versus the topsoil. You can amend it and it doesn't get hydrophobic as easily. Any soil can technically go hydrophobic and repel water and have dry spots, and there are simple fixes for that. One of the things I don't like is that people are adding topsoil to their lawn, so they have this nutrient-rich substrate that's two, three, maybe six inches deep, but now the roots want to stay in that versus going down in our natural soils. It creates this little pocket where roots will get condensed and they want to live in. I like it when people take their natural soil and amend it to be better. So yes, you can definitely do it. Let's talk about it. DM me, follow me on Instagram, and check out my YouTube channel, The Greener Lawn. It's stuff. 
Um, I kind of want to hear it again because there was I I, I like I don't think I could have in, in, fast enough to get everything down that I needed to get down. In there. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, let's do it again. Go ahead, cowboy. Fix poor swale issues. One of the things we need to do is focus on the swale's health by giving it things that promote the organisms inside of it. The earthworms, the microfauna, we need to promote them to do their job better. How we do that is we give the swale organic matter, humic acid, compost, stuff of that nature, and it will help amend that soil and make it a lot better. So when we do have our regular soils, they do go hydrophobic a little bit more just because they don't have the amended properties. They're kind of stripped of nutrients or the nutrients are all locked up. As we amend them, they will start to perform a lot better and they won't go hydrophobic and cause these places that are dry. It's not because it's kind of the natural soil versus the topsoil. You can amend it and it doesn't get hydrophobic as easily any soil can technically go hydrophobic and repel <laughs> water and have dry spots and there are simple fixes for that one of the things i don't like is that people are adding topsoil to their lawn so they have this nutrient-rich substrate that's two three maybe six inches deep but now the roots want to stay in that versus going down in our natural soils it creates this little pocket where roots will get okay okay we're good. we're good we're good we're um, <laughs> good Man, <laughs> listen. Where do I uh, where do I begin? Uh, I, you know, uh, I, let's just take it. We'll take it line by line here, okay? So well, we'll so, yeah, let's just start and, there. Let's do this. And we were talking about promoting natural organisms, right? And then and then we were talking about how if we're not adding amendments, then we're sacrificing soils from having things like uh, earthworms and microflora, uh, and that the uh, because because they're devoid of nutrients or and or uh, the nutrients are locked up. So we'll just start right there. First and foremost, um, I, I just I want to put this out there. You can take completely sterile sand, right? Completely sterile sand, and get anything growing on it that is that is a plant, right? And it, it could be uh, it could be nightshade. Uh, it could be a uh, a maple tree. Uh, it could be a monoculture stand of turf grass if you want. And what's fascinating about this is that as long as something is growing, then the microflora, the earthworms, will all have a habitat, habitat will they, where they will proliferate. What's absolutely fascinating is that you can take a Petri dish with a, with a relatively simple solution containing phosphorus and, uh, and, and put it in an open air environment, say like on your desk in your house. And did you know... Uh, that in a short period of time that you can start growing this microflora right there in open air on your desk. And it will con contain things like rhizobacteria. Hell, it could even uh, contain uh, uh, Rhizoctonia salini, which is just a pretty simple, basic soil-borne pathogen that now all of a sudden is growing in your peach petri dish, right? So I, this, this, this idea that you have to uh, do something miraculous or spectacular to your soil in order to uh, allow for this proliferation of whatever to occur, this magic sauce, this pie in the sky idea is absolutely asinine. Then to the the whole point, this is what's even more fascinating, is that if you if you subscribe that you 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 have to encourage an environment for all these things, which fun fact, the only thing you have to do is have anything growing on any sort of growing medium, and these will naturally begin to proliferate. But uh, by having something growing there, the whole point of these organisms and why they proliferate in these areas is that the idea of 
locked up nutrients become unlocked by these organisms, right? So it doesn't matter if they're locked up because uh, due to things like exudates and other types of bacteria and the microflora that ex exist in the soil, uh, they solubilize these relatively insoluble compounds in order to make them plant available. It's the beautiful thing about soil-plant interaction to begin with is that plants will end up inevitably developing the type of growing medium it needs to unlock nutrients and that without any special amendments whatsoever. Um, yeah. What, what, what else did we miss out of that? Because that was, that was a whole bunch of just a lot to say about nothing that was even remotely true. <laughs> well, well, I think Go ahead, Ray. this, this fella, he's got it all figured out because he wants people to do two things, waste work on shit they don't need to do and spend money on stuff they don't need to buy. Because, you know what I hate about people like this? People like this assume that nature is incapable and incompetent and is totally dependent on humans. Because, Matt, you know what you said about sand and growing grass on sand? I can take sod, right? Put it on top of pure Hawaii beach sand, and in one year, six inches of that sand turns deep, rich brown. And it's not because of some buy my shit stuff that I put on top of it. The grass did that all by itself. Hmm. Interesting. You know, the grass did it all by itself. And yet, someone like him thinks you need to apply humic and bacteria and heaven knows what else because nature is incapable of sustaining itself yeah if if that would my the goodness case, <laughs> were the case you know how would you have things like prairies you know i mean yeah. Uh, yeah who was out there amending the soils in order to create these vast prairie expanses that exist fun fact mm -hmm. it, it wasn't anything it all started with just something growing on it and again, How many times did you fill up your permagreen on the African savanna? Um, none. Um, Good none. point. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm and sorry. How, how many people have grown a houseplant and then all of a sudden they get like white flies? And you're like, how is that possible? It's in a completely controlled environment, but all of a sudden I've got white flies or I've got aphids on plants I'm growing indoors in a completely controlled environment. It's fascinating that nature finds a way to be able to do these things and so the idea of crappy soil is is number one is a complete and total farce, right? It's a mm -hmm. uh, it, there has to be a, a a defined reason to establish that it's crappy soil, and the idea that it's lacking in microflora or microfauna or uh, it's too excessive in locked up nutrients is not is not a valid reason for having crappy soil. Now, if you have if you, if you want to say you have have crappy soil and you know, it's tainted with high amounts of arsenic and lead and mercury and aluminum and it has a pH of 4.1, then yeah, I mean, it's, that's really toxic soil. It's that's not going to grow anything, that's, right? That's crappy mm -hmm. soil and no amount of, of microflora and humic acid and, um, uh, uh, juju that you, you begin injecting into this is going to make a, a, even a remote 
amount of difference. Listen, there there was a lot that was packed in here, and I think the way that you have to unpack this is not what is said because there's a lot of erroneous information or Turn information that's put in such a way to think that you need to do something right uh in, in order to act and i think we'll, we'll we'll see that and we'll talk about that more as the night goes on but the overwhelming thing here is number one soil health okay let's get this out of the way is that nobody is able to yet define what that really means that can that can acro cut across different geographies different soils different grass types all that kind of stuff it doesn't exist yet there are methods and ways to measure soil essentially as one sample right but as far as uh, correlating that data to anything that's meaningful as far as plant production and health specifically to turf grass doesn't exist right now okay so just stop using that term you know until we have a better idea of what's going on there secondly okay the whole idea that well soil can be hydrophobic yes regular soil can be hydrophobic i don't know what regular soil is i'm assuming that that means topsoil that is just existing so whether you have a new home and the topsoil is placed back on your home site or if you live in a home that's 200 years old and the soil that's always been there is, is your topsoil right uh that those need to be treated differently somehow i would agree that they do need to be treated differently however to sit there and say that well you can amend them you can amend any soil and it won't become hydrophobic but still all soils could become hydrophobic it's a lot of like back and forth there that is just like okay and then there's a, a, a baby sh shampoo plug at the bottom you can use baby shampoo if you really want to need to it will help for a very short uh and not a very sustained period of time so use that at your own peril it might work but there's better ways to do that if you have that problem if you truly have an issue with hydrophobicity in the soil meaning the soil is repelling the water that's trying to get down in there the last thing is the topsoil thing boys <laughs> if i heard if i heard jeremy right he said if you have crappy regular soil or what you would consider subsoil or it could even be the crappy quote unquote topsoil that you have and if you put good topsoil over top of that at some depth three four six inches right that you're going to create a root bound environment that's what we call root bound so just like you know for the folks that are listening at home or listening to us on their favorite podcast app spotify apple Podcasts, or anything else right check us out over there you don't have to sit there and boob tube us right through the tubes right you can also listen to us in your earbuds at your leisure but the point here that i wanted to make gentlemen when you pull a plant out of a you know potted plant out of that uh container right there's all those roots that are pushed out along the sides that's the kind of effect he's talking about and i'll tell you what i don't see it right and to show this point right i've inverted right here's a situation here of uh roots on sand right a media that has very little in the way of nutrients right it's it's a it's a sterile material right growing down in native soil and everything's hunky-dory there i've got i could show you plugs where we've got native topsoil on top of really really crappy subsoil and those roots are growing down to that crappy top, uh, subsoil just fine literally i've got one i'll take a i'll take a sample of it this week gentlemen and share with you that is literally a uh, old construction and demolition landfill that's capped with three feet of clay and then has four inches of topsoil on it and that's what the grass grows in 
and it does just fine. Roots push down into that clay cap, no problem. Grass is an amazingly resilient plant. It's a poverty plant, right? It's grown in some of the harshest environments on all on six of the seven continents in this world, on this planet, right? And it does just fine without extra additions of humic acid, extra additions of compost, and all this other stuff. I'm not saying that you don't need it in certain situations. I'm not saying it doesn't help. I'm just saying the, the act of blanket making suggestions and saying, well, you got crappy soil, just throw this stuff down, it's going to fix it. Products are seldom not the solution, right? So that is where we stand on that one. Gentlemen, let's check out those headlines. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You got something to say over there? You got something to say? No, I okay, was, you, I was oh. actually just going to roll right right into that. That was uh, that was good. Done. Nothing to fear here. This is just the news. Uh, this is just the news, and you know what? <clears throat> Boy, ha, ha! you hear that? That is the uh, the sins of the weekend uh, <laughs> moving from one area of my body to another, uh, but. Speaking of sins from the weekend, from pesticide to coal ash, lawmakers want more control. Uh, mm. Environmental and consumer advocates say legislation is a bad move for Indiana. Uh, lawmakers want to give the General Assembly more power over decisions that are currently left to state agencies, a move that some advocates would say put Hoosiers' health and environment in jeopardy. Major provisions in the latest draft of House Bill 1623 would change the way the state agencies adopt regulations that implement state or federal laws. That includes revisions to the process for adopting emergency rules and shortening the time period when rules must be readopted. A 54-page amendment was added last week to the administrative rulemaking bill, which additionally seeks to put lawmakers in charge of new pesticide regulations and prevent state environmental regulators from making stricter coal ash rules than federal ones. Uh, Steve Bartels, a uh, Republican from Equity, uh, said uh, his bill seeks to streamline rulemaking, but critics maintain it would mm. make the rulemaking process more burdensome. This bill is hours of compromise, focusing on transparency, protection of our citizens and businesses, while standardizing our government procedures, saving time and making our government more efficient, said Bartels. Uh, the bill advanced six to four Wednesday from the Senate Judiciary Committee with no votes from three Democrats and one Republican. Uh, the measure now heads to the chamber floor. Uh, currently, decisions about pesticide use are left to the state chemists in Indiana's Pesticide Review Board, which consists of 17 to 18 governor-appointed voting members and three non-voting ad, uh, ad advisory members. Part of that job includes determinations over which pesticides should be generally allowed for use by homeowners, for example, and which should be restricted, meaning only certified applicators can apply those chemicals. Farmers often seek the credentials to apply certain pesticides to protect crops. The U.S. EPA already maintains a list of restricted, restricted pesticides, but the IPRB has, in some instances, put additional guardrails on other chemicals. Under the amended bill, the review board will still have interim rulemaking authority, Bartle said. If a new pesticide hits the market and is already on the EPA's list, the IPRB can create temporary rules to further restrict its use in Indiana, too. But after that, it's up to the legislature to decide whether to adopt the rule permanently. I think that actually puts the ability to restrict something back in the generally, uh, general assembly's hands. Bartle said, though our our process of creating through our process of creating laws, we would actually have public hearings and we would make that decision. I think the intent here across the board is broadly the general assembly wants to take control if there's going to be restrictions, fines, or fees against citizens or businesses. That's our responsibility, not agencies. Multiple lawmakers in the Senate Judiciary Committee on both sides of the aisle expressed reservations about taking over pesticide restrictions. 
uh, from a Democrat from Indianapolis emphasized that he doesn't know anything about pesticides. I don't want to be a full-time legislator. Uh, I don't want to be a full-time legislator. I hope we aren't creeping down that path. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Cummins, the director of state and governmental relations from the Indiana Farm Bureau, said the language would likely benefit lawn and landscape professionals, but won't impact those in agricultural settings. As far as we're concerned, this is a process question. What should the process be for changes in these pesticide restrictions? I don't see an impact here where we would lose access to a product because this process has changed. He added that as long as agencies like the State Chemist Office and Board of Animal Health can act with due swiftness in emergencies, the Farm Bureau is okay with this rulemaking reform that the legislator wants to do. Uh, Chris Gibson said, uh, speaking on behalf, told the Capitol Chronicle that the group has been tracking House Bill 1623, but they do not have a position on the amendment. Uh, and then it All goes right. on to talk about the coal ash spill, but I think that's probably the most pertinent. Uh, talk to mm. me, boys. What are you hearing about this? What do you? What do you? What's your immediate gut reaction to it? <sighs> it's a little bit of a slippery slope here because you know you're putting the final approval right in in politicians' hands, and politicians are elected officials, right? So they can change. Now, Indiana, probably a pretty safe bet. You can guess on who is going to be, you know, taking care of business there. And uh, in their state legislature, but does this open the door for other states, right, to swing back the other direction, potentially uh, through not necessarily a state regulatory process or what they would call a state scheme, right? A scheme doesn't doesn't always a bad thing. State scheme could be laid out in legislation from years and years, if not decades ago, about how, what the process is internally from an agency standpoint to approve or decline the registration or use or rules around uh, certain pesticides, Ray. And now here we are, we're putting that final approval in an elected official's hands. So here's my question to you. What's to stop a different state from taking the same action and saying, you know what? Uh, you know, we want to be more like Maine. We don't want to have a whole bunch of pesticides. So we'll put the final approval in our legislature's hands and they'll take care of it. Okay. Uh, you know, I I'm I'm gonna be different yet again, and say this is all a backlash against unaccountable bureaucrats making policy. Mm -hmm. Because what I see happening is here's the message. Here is your power. However, also know that we can vote your fucking ass out just like that as well. <laughs> Think carefully. Well, because, and, and yeah, because here's, here's, here's the thing is that, you know what? I have firsthand experience with how unaccountable bureaucrats can just hold things up because for years I've been telling you guys about my chlorantranilipril misadventures, right? No, yeah. And unaccountable bureaucrats are the reason for that. And similarly, uh, what if I told you that up until a few years ago, I couldn't even legally use sulfentrazone in Hawaii? Really? All because of an unelected bureaucrat. That person had to retire from the Department of Health and be replaced by somebody that was more open to allowing that within Hawaii. Mm. That's, the, that's the only way I got that material. 
So, you know, overall, this to me is literally democracy and accountability in action. Because right now, I can go to my lawmakers Mm -hmm. and grill them on stuff like this and not get any answers, not get anywhere with them because all of these unaccountable bureaucrats are making the rules, making the policy. Whereas in a state like Indiana, should this come to pass, uh, any policy made then has to be answered for in front of the voters themselves. But at that point, is that is it too is it too late? Number one, and I'm um, what I'm saying is Indiana. I I agree with what the gentleman from their farm bureau said. Ain't nobody have nothing to worry about in Indiana. And nothing's going to go away. Everything's going to be fine, right? But if you're in a different state, if you're in Minnesota or Maryland oh. or a place like that, oh, and I'm not, however, and I'm not sitting here casting stones. I'm just saying, like the same, mm-hmm. the same uh, method or process could be used to unduly influence, or in, in in some cases. And when I say unduly influence, I mean that you know it's a little bit easier to uh, coerce a politician than a uh, bureaucrat that's got a retirement. 30 years and a lot less to lose, right? Or a lot more to lose, I guess, from their standpoint than, you know, elected office, right? Most of the people that are seeking elected office are going to be just fine if they get voted out. Now, on the flip side of that too is, let's say that it's in a state where people are anti-pesticide and there is a, you know, uh, a a legislative um, majority, right? That feels the same way. Who's to say they can't say, pass the same type of law and go and say, well, no, we don't like chlorantinilpril anymore. We're going to get rid of that. It's really, it's, it's got a long residual in the soil, and that, that could be bad for us. We don't want to do that. And off we go. Yeah, what happens then? Off we go. Well, well, here's what happens is that in that case, decisions then have more cause, effect, and correlation associated with them in that it goes back to people themselves and the public at large in that now it is on you to think hard for what the heck you're voting for. Think real hard because what I see happening is with unaccountable bureaucrats, there's also a sense of complacency why the fuck even bother voting because nothing matters because all of these people actually making the policy and making the rules are so insulated from any actions of their decisions you know they're so they're so insulated from the consequences of their decisions mm. so that that that's how i'm looking at it because then people themselves actually need to start educating themselves and say, hey, yeah, we can get everything banned right now. We can do it. But then people also have to think, what is the reality of having a government that actually does that, 
because you know the backlash against the green movement in Europe mm -hmm. that all started based on the policies put forth by unelected bureaucrats mm. people themselves did not petition the government and say we want to shut it shut it all down and go back to the stone age people didn't ask for that because what i think actually happened or re the reality set in is hey we shut down all the farmers guess what no more milk no more cheese no more butter no more meat no more eggs we're gonna be eating fucking bugs for dinner that's what's yeah next. And i don't i, I don't know <laughs> how what it would take for that to happen or something like that here i just know that from a standpoint of using this in this uh legislative oversight it's a, it can be a good thing uh and i don't mean that to say that we need to have every last pesticide available to us no demand that's ever been created but uh having people that aren't uh necessarily accountable in the sense of the day-to-day -day of what we do right that do you know that do get voted in and voted out that's fine but they can still screw a lot of stuff up and they're usually not the people that have the most um technical knowledge on some of these things so we'll see i, I can see the good and the bad and uh we'll just have to see what happens right now yeah let's see what happens jay pink hit it oh. <laughs> what <laughs> Ryan, I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because Jow knows turf. <laughs> now, listen, because uh, this is uh, number 69, usually uh, for most people, takes several attempts, you know. You get a cramp, you get a pube in your mouth, somebody farts, like, it takes a couple of, you know, you gotta, yeah, so we're gonna take another crack at the show knows turf thing and, and, and see how it goes here. So, Jay Pink, let's go ahead and roll that beautiful bean footage. Because also, I have Headway G waiting for next month for the calendar, but I'm hearing it's okay to start now if you see damage or not. Yes, if you have, if you see damage or you have a history of disease problems in your lawn this time of year, apply the fungicide like do not wait until you see it you see the problem because here's the thing once you see it it's not like you apply the fungicide and on that same day it's going to stop right it's going to get a little bit worse from the time you start noticing it then it'll stop and then the lawn will begin healing so if in april like in my lawn, if you see where you have a um you have a, a, a you've had disease problems this in your lawn this time of year do not wait till may to get your preventative fungicide down you know, there, there are some people that apply fungicide what? when soil temps get into the mid-50s. You know, some there's people that do that, and they'll do another one uh, now. So they'll do one, like, in early March, they'll do another one now. For most people, unless you have a, again, a history of law of disease problems, that's typically not necessary. But, um, but yeah, per, per the calendar in the academy, if you don't have disease problems, start next month. If you do have a history of, of disease problems in your lawn, like large patch forming, those kinds of problems, this time of year, start now. Don't what? wait until... Um, they, what? you know, the, the problem manifests Ooh. itself because by then oh it's gosh. too late. You can, then, then you're in for like a two, three week healing period. You know what I mean? So, uh, so yes, you're not gonna hurt anything two, by starting weeks? now. Make sure you, um, ah. you water it in, you apply it properly, you water it in properly. All right, next up is Latanja Moore. She says, how often can you put uh, down Headway G? 
Great question, Latanja. Mm-hmm. So the <laughs> annual, the, the memory shows me the annual limit of headway G per thousand square feet is around nine, I think it's like 19, just over 19 pounds, just over 19 pounds per thousand square feet. So if you, if you take like the higher end of the application rate, so four pounds, that's about four-ish, four-ish applications between four to five, five applications per year. Here's the thing though. I wouldn't do, I would not do two applications of the same fungicide um, in a row, like within, let's say, in other words, say in the springtime, right? Let's say like right now, this time of year, you're having a disease problem in your lawn, right? You do an application of, um, of, of headway. Now you do another head, do another application 21 days later, that should clear it up. That should, I mean, you really shouldn't be a problem from there on out, <laughs> but let's say you get around to like July and there's like some summer patch or some, some other problem coming in your lawn, which again, shouldn't be an issue, but, the, but that's, the, that's happening. In that case, if you can, I would rotate to a different fungicide. So a good option, like, I mean, it can be any, it can be another, um, it can be like Headway is a, is a 3 and 11 and Pillar SC is also a, um, a 3 and 11 um, <laughs> mode of action. So you could rotate to Pillar, you could rotate to like, um, like a 336F, like the Clary's product, you could rotate to that. But I would, even though, what I'm trying to say is even though you're able to do four applications, that four-ish applications um, in a year, that doesn't mean I pause, would necessarily... Pause, pause. Just real quick. I got to stop here for one second. Does anybody have a measuring cup that has ish on it? I just need to know where I get one of those. Can I go to Golf Course Lawn Academy and get an ish measuring cup? All right, play the fucking video. Four Sorry. applications of the same fungicide in a row. You know what I'm saying? So you can do like two with this. And if, and if it happens to be that you still have a disease problem in your lawn, again, you really shouldn't. But if it happens that you need another one, like during the growing season, I would rotate to something else. So again, Pillar SC is a good option. The uh, the Clary's is uh, the 336F is also um, uh, a good fungicide as well to use. So... So yeah, so and the same thing for this. This is rated at it's five. Uh, I think it's five applications per year. So it's five. It's one ounce per thousand square feet. No more than five in a calendar year. But it's the same thing. I wouldn't, you know, run like five applications of this, you know, in a row. I wouldn't do like. I wouldn't only use this. It's important to rotate your fungicides, um, especially if your lawn has a disease, uh, has a history of disease problems, because you don't want there. You don't want it to to take the chance of it forming forming resistance. So. Okay, mm. boys and girls, listen, listen. Wow. Have you ever seen, wow, uh, right. you, you know, have you ever seen that uh, clip from the Olympics where the slalom skier misses like the second gate and literally just the entire way down? He's just cartwheeling down the. You just watched a reenactment of that with somebody trying to explain fungicides that, listen, listen, I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's got a lawn, um, and that, this, this is like peak Dunning-Kruger. Like, the answer should have been, I don't, I can tell you what the label says, but beyond that, from a contextual standpoint, from an experience standpoint, I don't know. All right. Ray, let's go to the Mm -hmm. Jodo's turf here because this was legitimately hard to listen to so much to the point that I had to resort to humoring myself and laughing as a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. to get through the whole goddamn thing. Okay. 
That yeah. being said, first, can you quickly, quickly explain mm -hmm. uh, frac codes real quick and what frac codes are? Because we're talking about groups of fungicides. So real quick, kind of just lay the, the, the landscape out for us, 30,000 feet. Okay. A frac code is the specific chemical mode of action of an individual fungicide active ingredient and the reason why the frac code was laid out is because there are so many different actual individual chemicals but many of them have the same mode of action for example uh ron henry said something about a group three and if i'm not mistaken group three i believe is a demethylation inhibitor. I know them as DMIs. And among your DMIs, you've got propiconazole, you've got mycobutanol, you've got triadimethon, you've got uh, triticonazole, you've got a whole host of others. And then when you go 11, I believe that is the strobilurin fungicides. And what have we got there? We've got azoxystrobin, we've got paraclostrobin, we've got, you know, trifloxystrobin, we've got several different ones. And the whole point of these frac codes is that when a fungicide is used repeatedly in back-to-back -back applications, certain diseases there's a high resist a high risk of causing resistance to that active ingredient and Ryan you and I both know the top diseases in turf grass for becoming resistant dollar spot uh -huh. right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and hythium right mm -hmm. hythium can become resistant and when it becomes resistant you are fubard and, and Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and here's the thing about misusing a group 11 fungicide, also known as a strobilurin. Do you know what happens when you repeatedly apply a fungicide to an area, even though you don't happen to have that active disease occurring but you repeatedly apply it do you, do you guys know what happens enlighten me okay what you do is you basically prime that area to have an outbreak of a resistant pathogen like piscium because you see piscium is a soil-borne disease that appears when environmental conditions are right and you're also dealing with a susceptible host so in other words by somebody throwing out headway g and pillar sc willy-nilly over their lawn several times over the season to me they are just asking and begging to have a piscium outbreak and likewise, what they're also doing is they're also repeatedly exposing 
the duller spot pathogen family to repeated exposures to the demethylation inhibitor fungicides. And by the way, resistance to DMI fungicides is a nightmare on golf courses. Because when that comes up, no, well, but well, when it when it comes up, that knocks out the inexpensive and cost-effective times up. You know, option for dealing with dollar spot. I mean that 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 just knocks out a go-to because you know what happens when uh, dollar spot is no longer susceptible to DMIs, then fungicides like Eagle, Baliton. And propiconazole will stop working on dollar spot, and you're on trouble. You're, you know, you're in trouble. You're behind the eight ball, because what you got left are the other fungicides within the frac code that they're newer, and along with that brand new shiny package comes the brand new price tag, because now you're looking at products like the SDHIs. You're looking at products like the dicarboxamides, which are old chemistries, but they're expensive chemistries. And then you're also looking at older stuff still like PCNB. And somebody asked me on the Discord about PCNB. And here's what I know about PCNB. PCNB is essentially a few molecules removed from DDT and lindane. So guess what the EPA thinks about PCNB? It's going. It's done. It's over. It's going away. It's it's going away, it's isn't it, Ryan? No, it's, it's out of here. here. So, so the so the thing is, is that when I see somebody messing around with fungicides and they don't know what they're doing, and they're doing it in such a way that they're going to give rise to the superbug. I'm cringing. Okay, I, I'm honestly cringing because the defenses that we had against resistant diseases, they're all going away because EPA also doesn't like mancozeb or chlorthalonil either. Mm. And mancozeb and chlorthalonil were my favorites because I knew that when they were part of the fungicide program, I reduced my risk of resistant pathogens because mancozib and chlorothalonil are what's considered multi-site contact fungicides that kill mycelium and spores on contact in a very multi-site process because you see these newer fungicides, they all act by specific interference or in inhibition with one chemical process within the disease. Mm. And the problem with only working on that one site is that it's very easy for natural selection and Darwinism to take effect. And before mm. you know it, you have a disease or a pathogen that has evolved to resist that chemical action. 
it's not that hard to do. Mm. So, Ron Henry, if you don't know what you're doing with fungicides, stay out of it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, th there's a few things here I want to make sure we're clear on. Number one is identifying the actual disease that you have before choosing a product and picking a rate of said product that you're going to use and even more specifically a timing of said product that you're going to use yes. because making uh curative applications in the spring uh for large patch let's say which is what i think ron was talking about uh at this juncture might not be the best thing i'm not saying going to say there's not cases where that doesn't need to occur however uh just a blanket statement like that is just wrong the idea here mm -hmm. of uh mixing up or rotating fungicides is generally accepted but it's not necessarily a hard fast rule you do have turf pathologists right some of the the best to come through which will sell you use it till it doesn't work anymore and i'm not advocating that right now i'm just saying that there's other schools of thought out there that that take place so people should know that and understand that now rotating from a 3 and 11 to a 3 and 11 is not rotating it's completely no. irrelevant not only that no. but the no so here's a good site uh brought to you by the ohio state university of course um and i'll see if there's a more updated one this one is from 2020 i know there's been some new chemistry that's come on the market since none of it really is labeled for home lawns though so there actually is a home lawn and lawn care applicator one i will get that one and we'll link that up in the show notes but uh go ahead and scroll down there to uh group three there real quick slide up slide up slide up and i want you to look at uh the what is that the fifth column on the right and they're talking about the uh resistance the the propensity for resistance if you'll notice all those group threes of the dmis high levels or high propensity for resistance, right? Slide on down there to group 11 there, the strobularins or your QOIs, also high for every single one, okay? Then finally, you can go all the way down and look at thiophenate methyl, right? Clear your triple three six. It's also going to be high as well. So making the mm -hmm. suggestion that you should apply these products with no disease identified and with no specific timing other than a number of days that it says in the label is simply irresponsible. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it undermines what good people do in terms of making the best management practices and the decisions to make on timing, on rates, and on products after they've identified a disease. So I understand the disease shows up in home ones and everything like that, but this kind of shit is the thing that gets these products banned outright because people are fucking up and not using them correctly. So please stop mm -hmm. instructing people to use them incorrectly and fucking shit up. All right, I'm done. Why don't we go on <laughs> and talk about the burns? Boys, if I haven't said it before, I just, I just want to reiterate, I fucking love you guys so much. And I mean that from the absolute bottom of my heart. I fucking love is this just ass. because listen listen is this just because we're on 69 no <laughs> uh yes kind of not really I, all right I, okay i all got right. a lot of emotions going on but i fuck i shave my balls this episode. Is this, oh sorry is that i i am you know when you're when you're when you when you've been involved in this long enough to the point that it starts to to make you borderline crazy 
uh, you it becomes it becomes difficult to articulate the things that you want to say in such a way that comes across as even remotely communicable, right? And that's why you have instances of me turning into uh, the 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 type of human being I become when I you know get approached by someone like Justin, right? I just I lose all thoughts of reason and sanity and mm -hmm. uh, propensity to be able to, to to say whatever it is that I actually have going on. And so I, I default to what I feel most comfortable with. And as a, as a young, dumb Southern boy, I just start to scream and yell and hoop and holler a whole lot. Uh, but what <laughs> everything that was just put together there was, was uh, I'm going to steal someone else's word that I hear use uh, a lot. That, that would be a uh, shout out to John Perry, but he, he, I feel like he holds the rights to the word robust in, at the, the frequency robust. at which he uses it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a common one of his. And so I'm going to steal it. I'm going to be like that. The, uh, the, the, the arguments and the reason why uh, those arguments are valid and needed and should persist uh, throughout the social media lawn care space uh, is because of just how robust of uh, of the 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 arguments and and definitions as to as to why should exist or you know did I I don't know I'm repeating myself but God Almighty it was just fucking beautiful I love you guys man I just I absolutely love you guys. Um, we love that you being said, this this week's burns uh, it is not the gonorrhea that's burning it is the city of Largo. I well, they were selling contaminated <laughs> fertilizer um yeah you're right it could have been both did, have, but, did, uh, you did, know. did the comp can i get gonorrhea compost is that like uh is that organic artisan compost if it can be spread through urine then chances are it can be passed <laughs> into your Christ. uh into your compost so uh it's what if i, I piss know, into a toilet a of pillar fluids. sc there's a lot of bodily <laughs> fluids that make their way into toilets, you know. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of guys that run to the toilet to go to go finish their gonorrhea laden whatever finish they have in there. So, don't um, want to UTI. I would say it's it makes it into the compost at some form or fashion. But right. uh, Richard must have been uh, must have been about something. Feared for months <laughs> that the city of I'm sorry. The city of Largo was selling fertilizer tainted with a toxic ele element that can cause cancer at high concentrations. Uh, Mushbin is a biosolid operator at the city's wastewater reclamation facility where he helps treat human sewage and convert it into fertilizer products. Those products are sold to private companies who spread the fertilizer pellets on the lawns, parks, and golf courses. The city was selling fertilizer contaminated with cadmium. He alleged in January 2022 wow. whistleblower letter to state shit. federal environmental regulators. Goodness. Uh, when he tried to stop the sale, his, his supervisors told him to stop monitoring cadmium levels, he explained. Uh, more than a year after Mush had been, uh, been right to raise those red flags, uh, both the U.S. EPA and Florida uh, environmental regulators are lobbying penalties at the city after an investigation proved the city illegally sold more than a thousand tons of cadmium uh, contain, uh, contaminated fertilizer. The city now faces a hundred thousand dollars in fines. Records show we all have a responsibility for public safety and health. Must have been said in a recent interview with the Tampa Bay Times. This went on for months and months. The cadmium was high, and they should have been getting rid of it. Uh, high exposures to cadmium can cause cancer, according to the National Cancer, the cancer Institute. And studies have tied cadmium exposure to reproductive issues. Low exposures over time can cause cadmium to accumulate in kidneys, causing kidney disease and fragile bones. Uh, between March of 2020 and December of 2021, the city sold cadmium contained contaminated fertilizer that violated acceptable federal levels 
according to a final order signed in late February. Um, so mm. what does it go on to say here? Uh, it exceeded the ceiling by 229%. Uh, Is so that bad? Not, not 1x, not 2x. Yeah, 2.29x. Here's the thing. This is coming out of where? Out of Tampa Bay, if I caught that uh, correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Florida. What uh, what, fertilizer, Florida. what fertilizer what uh, fertilizer <laughs> uh, blender and packager is out of the out of the uh uh I mean they they, they sold them big box stores, didn't they? The uh the, yeah. the blender. Yeah. What was the, what was the name of that mm -hmm. biosolid product? Bionate? The, the big box store biosolid. Was it was that what it was? That was the the um the big box no, store. Oh, they brand? had a different name for it. They had something else. They had a different, didn't they? They had a different name for it, but cadmium. Yikes! I mean, you well, know how we we go we go on and on about forever chemicals. Cadmium to me is the ultimate forever chemical because there is no way to detoxify or neutralize it because cadmium is a heavy metal. Okay, it is not an organic compound. It is an actual metal. And here's a fun one for you. In another time, fungicides for turf grass used to be made with cadmium chloride or cadmium carbonate. Did I ever tell you the story, <laughs> Ray, about... Uh... It's a good a, a good friend of mine is a sales rep. He had a, a guy calling up lawn care operator way out in like Northwest Ohio in the boonies, and he says, "Hey, mm -hmm. I got this stuff. I got this stuff out here that I need you to come get rid of. Can you recycle it for me?" He's like, "Yeah, what is it? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a fungicide. No, oh, no big deal, no mm -hmm. big deal." He rolls in there and he calls me immediately. He's like, "Have you ever heard of a fungicide called Caddy? C A D D Y? Well, oh <laughs> shit, it's, it's oh shit, Brian." This, this dude had like <laughs> 10 gallons of this stuff just sitting at the shop and he was like oh, I mean God, hey man you like man. You, you don't you don't think I can use this oh yeah so anyway no. here's my here's my question on this story Matt for you is what kind right now what kind of due diligence from a blender standpoint goes into sourcing materials like this and how much do you think it will change if it will change in the next I don't know year two three with all this you know, shit kind of bubbling to the surface. It it it, it won't. Uh, y yes, uh, eight one three king. That's that's what I was talking about. Who's out of there? Uh, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sunnyland is the uh, the blender. Um, <laughs> you know, I I don't know. They may they may be bar buying from uh, Tampa Bay Biosolids because and for those who don't know how the biosolid industry works, it, it works like this, right? You're in an area and you're a fertilizer blender, and people call you and they're like, hey. Um, I've got this amount of material that I need to get rid of. And sometimes it'll be like a business has gone under and they're offering you uh, bulk amounts of some random input. Or it'll be a local municipality that has stockpiles of biosolids. And they'll be like, hey, I've got a thousand tons of class A exceptional quality biosolids. And then I've got uh, uh, 60,000 tons of class B. And you know, class B requires a different set of tracking and all that to go in class A doesn't, right? And they're like, okay, yeah, well, you know, what do you what do you want for the class A? And they're like, you know, 
Um, you pay us uh, twenty five bucks a ton, and uh, FOB meaning you you pay for freight, and uh, you know you get it to the door, right? And as a fertilizer blender, you start running your numbers, and you're like, okay, I can include the biosolids at twenty five percent of a blend. Uh, it's only costing me twenty five dollars a ton to include it, so it's dropping my cost per bag by about. Uh, you know, we'll say, we'll say, uh, uh, 18% it's dropping the cost of my bag, but I can put in uh, a 20% premium on it because it's now a hybrid blended fertilizer. And, uh, so, you know, the, the, the way that math works is that you come out to the, the big good by, by having this hybrid blended fertilizer. Right. And, uh, and that's where it stops, right? Because as a fertilizer blender, and no fault to fertilizer blenders, but you are so locked in on commodity, it's very mm -hmm. difficult to make margins, right? And if you're selling, you know, thousand ton blocks to agriculture and you're selling hundreds of ton blocks to fertilizer distributors, you're making on average 10 points, 10%. Uh, maybe you get a 15% margin here and there. And so your margins are razor, razor thin. And we're talking about big, big volumes of material coming and going, right? And so you're always looking for your cheapest inputs in order to flip. And sometimes it's, you know, that's why you get phone calls from people that uh, are, are, all they do is specialize is go in and reclaiming uh, fertilizer inputs from a farmer that's going out of business or another blender that's going out of business or a lawn care operator that's going out of business. And they're, they're trying to sell it to you. And you welcome these phone calls because it's your opportunity to get something below commodity to be able to make 25 points on something uh, to soften the the budget a little bit, right? And and try and work up some cash flow because when you're operating at 10% margins, cash flow is a nightmare. You got to have a big ass line of credit and you better keep uh, inventory rolling in and out at all times. But that being said, as a fertilizer blender, you are so up to your eyeballs in managing cash flow. I promise the last thing on your mind is looking at a heavy metal report from the inputs you have coming in. You're going to assume the manufacturer is doing their due diligence and that if they're trying to sell you something, unless it's wildly cheap, right? Like, and here's the thing about biosolids is the pricing is all over the place. It may be coming out of Athens, Tennessee, and you're getting it at $37 a ton. It may be coming out of Laverne, Tennessee, and you're getting it for $22 a ton. It may be coming out of Southern Kentucky, and literally all they're asking is for you to pay freight. Uh, and so if, if somebody's like, here, will you just take it off my hands? You're not thinking like, oh, well, it must be tainted. It's just that they have too much inventory that they need to get rid of because they're producing it every day and it needs somewhere to go immediately so they don't have to landfill it, right? It's the whole point of making biosolids. Um, and it works into their taxes and all that fun stuff too. So anyway, it means nothing to get biosolids at no cost. Uh, so if it is cadmium tainted, you're not thinking about that because, you know, if, if it's something, if it's urea and someone calls you, urea spot price is, you know, $600 a ton and someone calls you and like, hey man, I've got a thousand tons of urea coming at you for a uh, hundred bucks a ton. You're going to be like, what, what's wrong with it? Something is definitely wrong <laughs> with it. You don't have that advantage in the biosolid space. And so, um, uh, that's why it, in this instance, no, you never see it. You never hear of that. And, uh, and it really falls on the 99.99% of it, just like the applicators responsible for everything that goes down on the lawn and tracking it. I'm going to say that the buck begins with the applicator to reach out to the blender or reach out to your distributor and find out, ask for a heavy metal report. Now, the manufacturer of the biosolids will legally have to supply you with a heavy metal report, right? So no harm, no foul there. 
Um, and, uh, and this may be one of those things that you see, oh shit, cadmium is off the charts. Well, it sounded like they said, quit reporting on cadmium. And, uh, I don't, I don't know if you could just do that, but apparently <laughs> yeah. they were running heavy metal reports and just leaving that, that one off of it, which you White can't out. do and why they got popped. Um, we're seeing the same thing with, with, uh, with PFAS and biosalads. We had one of our, one of our own, uh, listeners reach out to, uh, a, uh, a manufacturer of biosolids and ask for a PFAS report. And sure enough, they gave him one and, and, uh, PFABs were absolutely off the chart, like 300 X higher than, than, uh, what EPA recommendations were. Wow. And he had to make the judgment call that yes, it is economically feasible for me to apply this product. Uh, uh, it is environmentally unfeasible for me to apply this product and, you know, had to go <laughs> on it and was like, you know, Hey, thanks for looping me in on that because I feel like I avoided a disaster that may not have presented itself now, but at some point it would. So, um, I'll tell you right now, the blenders are so balls deep in trying to stay above water. Uh, they're not going to be asking for this. They're going to assume everything that comes in is going to be hunky dory. Um, as an applicator, you should always do your due diligence in that if it's something that is organically derived from waste, like uh, human waste, uh, or, or is a manure source, um, chances are 99.999% of manure sources are not going to test positive for heavy metals. Very, very, very rarely. Uh, the only time you're going to see this is, is like uh, there are some, a lot, uh, I'm not going to say a lot, but there's a fair amount of biochar that could be high in heavy metals. Um, and it's going to be primarily biochar that originates with feedstock that comes from certain areas of the country that sprayed a lot of arsenic back in the days as a pesticide. And, uh, and those grow into the trees and they stay into the trees for the life of the tree, uh, or it makes its way into the soil. And as new plants are grown on that, they, those plants are actively removing arsenic from the soil that has, uh, uh bioaccumulated there. Right. And then it becomes concentrated as it's turned into, to, to uh, biochar as it's gone through its paralysis process. And that's why, you know, biochar producers who know what they're doing will know that you cannot pull, um, uh, uh, biomass from, uh, orchard rich regions, right? Uh, because orchards were primarily, uh, heavy users of arsenic laced, uh, uh, pesticides and uh, any kind of biomass you pull from those areas is just off the fricking charts and, and arsenic, a lot of cyanide too. You'll, you'll end up finding, mm. um, so that's uh, a very, very long answer, but I wanted to be as comprehensive as possible to uh, really basically say no. the importance of this <laughs> on the applicator that it, just like with every other aspect of the industry, the responsibility falls on you. I'm going to say this too, that the responsibility of finding out what is actually in your, uh, your manure sources falls on you as well. Boom. Right there. Mic drop. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, with that, uh, J-Ping. Oh, my God. Oh, Joe. No stuff. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm going to give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today. Because Joe knows turf. <laughs> Yes. Well, listen, Joe does know turf, but uh, I am here on a mission tonight. A mission, gentlemen. 
to prove that our friend Ron does not know turf. And we're going to get another clip from Ron here right now. Let's go ahead and take a peek at that. That's F. He says, um, Ron, thanks for all you do. How can I bring up my boron levels? I'm sitting at 0.13 in the soil test. Uh, the total soil uh, test says, okay, cool. I got you. Speaking of so for your what? boron levels, what I would say, Lance, is if you go to... Go to the golf course lawn store, go to shop, and then go to the lawn fertilizer section, which is highly curated, by the way. And you go to Nutrizolve. This has got all of your micronutrient demands covered. In Nutrizolve, you will find boron, copper, chelated iron, molybdenum, manganese, and zinc. So your boron levels are a little bit low. This will correct that because it has it, right? So the application rate what? for Nutrizolve is six ounces per thousand. So six ounces mixed with a gallon of water sprayed over a thousand square feet. And that will help correct your boron levels. It'll help, it'll help bump those up. So Holy that is what I would smokes. use. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to ask real quick, just, and I don't need you to go into Google Scholar and search for it or anything like that, but from a professional anecdotal perspective here, gentlemen, how many times have you had to walk up to a customer's lawn and, well, Mrs. Jones, it's bad. Mm -hmm. What is it? What is it? It's your boring levels. I was afraid to tell you the lawn's not going to make it. All we can do now is make it feel comfortable until the end. Have you ever had to have that fucking conversation? No, you haven't, because it doesn't exist. There is no such thing as a boron deficiency that's going to appreciably affect turf in any meaningful way. Now, you're going to get all the zealots that come out here and want to tell you that you got to manipulate this and manipulate that, but find me a way, right? Where is turf truth when you need them, right? Actually, I got, They'll I got tell one you word the same for thing. you. All right. Where is, where is Travis Shaddix? Because I would love mm -hmm. to hear... His take on this. Oh, yeah. Travis would probably <laughs> yeah. dig in on this one, too, right. for sure. He, yeah, he would get hot about this. He, he, would get, yeah. he would get hot because. Uh, we'll set up a timestamp. Yeah. Here's my experience is that I've never had an instance where boron was the limiting nutrient in a turf area. Never. However, but, truth. Go ahead. Go but, ahead. Go ahead. But wait. But I remember dealing with a landscape where part of my nutrient application for that landscape involved a half ounce of borax per thousand square foot applied one time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The old 20 mil team. Yeah. 20, and, and the reason why I had to do that is because that landscape did have obvious issues with number one, the palm trees. And number two, the woody shrub ornamentals. Those are the plants that can exhibit boron deficiencies. But you know what? That guy's emerald zoysia lawn had no freaking problems. And so I skipped applying the borax to his lawn. <laughs> Seriously. Now listen, <laughs> uh, here's the thing. is uh, the, the, the part that really chaps my ass about this is that, number one, okay, there's only two things that are happening here, right? One is ignorance, right? You don't know that, hey, uh, boron, who cares? Hey, bro, like, just, you know, don't worry about that. Worry about NPK. You're fine. Mm -hmm. And and then sell them on your NPK. Like, if that's the mm -hmm. route you got to go and you got to sell the sizzle, sell your mm -hmm. sizzle where it matters, right? Like, 
This is making other people think, oh, man, my boring levels are down. The only thing I can do is go onto this highly curated website of bullshit and buy this fucking product that really isn't going to make a difference, right? Other than to make people feel good about their numbers. So, listen, I took the advice from the original Ron Henry clip that we just watched here a few minutes ago about fungicides, okay? <laughs> and I was worried because, you know, we're about to be into the, you know, the hot, wet weather way and we trudge around in wet, muddy fields and all this other stuff during construction season. I'm worried about athlete's foot and even though i'm not seeing athlete's foot yet i went to ron henry's <laughs> curated website highly curated website and you know what i did boom tough acting and acting all over my entire <laughs> body so that i have no sores or spores or anything else that's gonna hurt me or somebody else because that's how we 69 all right let's go on to those returns la, 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 la. <laughs> Keep it handy. You gotta, gotta have it there. Uh, big news here, and this actually is legitimately big news, and uh, big news for those that manage cool season grass. So if you manage cool season grass, perk your ears up because there is a new tool in the toolbox. Finally, uh, the EPA has expanded the label for Syngenta's manuscript to include use on cool season turf. Previously labeled for Bermuda grass and Zoysia grass and golf courses, sports fields, and sod farms since it hit the market in 2018, Manuscript is now approved for control of post-emergent weeds on fine fescue and poa annua. Strange. So your fescue guys, your Kentucky bluegrass guys, uh, you're going to have to go ahead and pound sand, but the fine fescue and people that manage poa annua greens, uh, guess what? You've got some hot sauce in your back pocket. Uh, using the active ingredient panoxidin uh, formulated with a surfactant, uh, manuscript is labeled for control of a host of post-emergent weeds, including Bahia grass, Dallas grass, coastal sandbar, large crabgrass, smooth crabgrass, tropical signal grass, tropical carpet grass, kikuyu grass, pastbalum, ryegrass, and torpedo grass. I can be used anytime where weeds are actively growing, including the um, uh, the heat of summer. Uh, it's built with formulated with a built-in safener that speeds the metabolism of panoxidin and desirable turf to help improve turf safety without sacrificing the control of mature, difficult to control weeds. Um, anyway, it, a little bit more, it talks about the surfactant it has in it, and it can be, uh, uh, cannot be tank mixed with a uh, phenoxy herbicide similar to, uh, like fluoroxapir is going to struggle with some, uh, phenoxy herbicides as well too. Um, anyway, uh, he, here we go. So those who manage uh, poa greens and uh, and fine fescue. Now, I will say this. Are you going to see tropical signal grass or tropical carpet grass in a poa annua green? No. No, you're not. Nope. But in terms of diversifying your efforts at controlling larger smooth crabgrass, now you got something. In the event that you do uh, begin to see Dallas grass in your area where you have poa greens, which... Uh, I would say that's becoming closer to reality now. I'd say it's not wide. Cincinnati. You might see it every here and there starting to pop up. Probably some areas in PA too, right? Um, no. uh, now you have an option to go after that. Well, previously, you you know, you know were really limited at what you could do. So um, interesting kind of turnout there. That's that's actually pretty damn cool for the uh, for the cool season, guys. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... Well, it's going to say, Ray, is like the, the, I think the target market they're going after, if you go look at their website and kind of dive a little bit deeper, they're looking at it on the fine fescue side more so for like na natural native areas, like on golf courses, you know, where they let stuff grow mm -hmm. up and it's all wavy in the breeze mm -hmm. and everything like that. Two, mm -hmm. well, two questions for you. One, mm -hmm. the, uh, 
on low cut, do you think there'd be any difference, right? Low cut fine fescue at, you know, three quarters of an inch, something like that, or one inch. And then the second thing is tell me more about the safener that is speeding the metabolism. Are there other products that have that? And how does that work? Okay. First of all, you know, this uh, manuscript product, it is actually hmm? way more effective on lower cut turf. In other words, you need to be at fairway or T height at minimum in order for this to be more effective. And by the way, I was part of some trial work with this product here in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of seen it in action. And here's the problem with this pinoxidin plus metabolic safener technology it is actually not that effective on mature stands of the targeted grassy weeds it actually works a lot Mm. better if you can get it early in other words for us here in hawaii it was really disappointing on the goose grass and the dallas grass that is that was in the field for like two years didn't really impress us. It may work differently if you're in an area where the grassy weeds reemerge from seed annually. It may be different. Mm-hmm. And as far as this safener technology, there is another herbicide using safener type technology that i understand is due due to be released later this year it's another syngenta product Mm -hmm. and here's its feature is matt this product Mm -hmm. will make it safe to apply trifloxysulfuron to saint augustine now that is interesting okay And the safener package that is present in this Syngenta product, soon to be released, also mitigates the effect of fluazifop on both St. Augustine and Zoysia. So therefore, you can apply an effective dose of fluazifop with this new herbicide and cause substantial injury to Bermuda grass, Bahia grass, and other grassy weeds. Mm. <laughs> I just thought it yeah, was interesting but, when I saw it. Uh, of, of, go ahead, go ahead, Ray. I'm sorry. But the whole thing about this manuscript herbicide and this pinoxidin is pinoxidin is actually first used with this safener technology in wheat. Mm. I mean, this is where this technology first was applied because, uh, you know, Syngenta, they are very heavily into the wheat production market in Europe and the UK. That's like their big market. So this is just a, uh, I guess, a a borrow from that. And 
panoxidin is of the same mode of action as fluazifop. It's a fatty acid synthesis inhibitor. And so what my weed science instructor told me to look for as far as this is when you know something like fusillade or a clay extra is working on your grassy weed is when two weeks later you go to that grassy weed, you pick the center, the terminal shoot of that grass, and if it pulls up in your hand and it just separates from the rest of the grass, that is your sign that your herbicide is working because that inhibition of fatty acids literally killed the growing point of that grass. Pretty, pretty wild stuff. So, <laughs> but yeah, this manuscript, though, as I said, it is more effective in low-cut turf and on weeds that are in their first two to three tillers. It is not as effective on established or mature grassy weeds. Like, I wouldn't throw this out on late season goosegrass for example no good it would mm -hmm. be disappointing and i wouldn't do it on dallas grass that has become perennial in like texas i would do something else to it so it's it's kind of like a i don't know because my my feelings about manuscript are it is a product however from what i've seen of it it has not del delivered the level of performance that i would expect interesting harsh words yeah. for chem china <laughs> sorry syngenta <laughs> let's, let's see what it is uh, with that being said uh do we do we do we check the we check before we do that oh shit <laughs> oh no <laughs> man <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. i'm gonna give you a bunch <laughs> of accurate turf facts today because Jow knows turf <laughs> Now, this whole episode has not been just a test of your metal, gentlemen, but also of your refractory period. And I'm going to ask you to get it up one more time for our good friend, Ron Henry, because listen, in a four hour, four, yeah, yeah, grind that, grind up the uh, Cialis and snort it. I think it goes faster. That way. <laughs> and I don't mean, I don't mean through your nose either. I'm talking, we're going to do some elephant shit. Okay. So anyway, um, <laughs> that all being said, uh, this was all these are three clips this is a third one here from ron all from the same four-hour episode listen i'll save my thoughts on this then to the end let's just go ahead and watch this one real quick um let's see okay lawn guy says what can be sprayed on poa for cool season grass there's not a lot that's really great for post for for killing poannua um as a post-emergent in cool season grass what a lot of people will do as a strategy is they will spray Poa with um, with Primo with Primo Max, they'll spray what? it with this, 
And by doing that, you'll suppress, like, one of the things that Primo does, it helps suppress <laughs> seed heads. So what makes Poe look ugly in a cool season lawn is the the white seed heads that, 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 that flower in the middle of it. So it makes it stick out like a sore thumb in an otherwise green lawn. If you use oh, Primo man. on it, um, that will suppress <laughs> it from forming seed heads, and then it does a better job of blending in with the existing grass. There are products like uh, Power Cure and some other ones that are being tested, but they're not they're not rated for use on residential lawns. So um, as far as post-emergent herbicides that work well on residential lawns on on cool for cool season grass against Poe annua, there's not a lot of great options. A lot of most people will use Prima. One they'll use growth. They'll use I'm not. They'll use um pre-emergent to prevent it in the first place. That's thing one. Use, use a good, uh, good um, pre-emergent program to prevent it from becoming a problem. And then saving that, you can use Primo um, to, to Ryan, suppress a seed head formation. I, I just realized something. I just What's realized up? something. Okay. I know the exact moment when this guy is talking shit and he's over his skis when he starts to stutter. He, he he does listen and and it's a listen all right what's the you ever seen the movie rounders right uh mm -hmm. about card playing matt damon ed norton mm -hmm. good movie. matt hasn't seen mm -hmm. it matt 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 didn't know yeah, movies know existed until a year ago uh literally mm -hmm. like we had to force him into doing it that's another story for another time um but it is funny like so in the movie rounders the, the 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 quote is is that if you spot a man's tail you don't say a fucking word right you just let him go on doing it all night i can't but you can tell you can tell when ron is like just scrambling and trying to get it done and listen we've all been there right and i'm telling you like mm -hmm. we've all done what he's doing absolutely however you, like however you got 50,000 mm -hmm. people that are subscribing. You got 3,000 people that are watching these streams, whatever. I don't know how many of those are real and bought. I don't care. The point of the matter is, is that you have a responsibility, right? To make sure that what you're saying is right. And if it, so if it means saying, I don't know, that is the correct answer in some cases, right? Mm -hmm. We'll say yeah. it on here. You've yeah. heard us say it on this show. All right. Yeah, yeah. So listen let's let's uh first let's let this roll out there's a little bit there's a second part of this a second question or comment that he answers to and then we'll unpack everything you won't really <laughs> see it as much it's still going to be in the lawn but it's not going to stick out like a sore thumb versus if you don't um you don't use primo and and it's able to flower and then Whoa. you get these white seed heads also at the lawn and it looks like looks terrible so there is that so hope that helps keep going, keep going. Um, okay okay long guy you're very welcome, quality assurance guy. And it says, how much is the Academy? It is one, currently it's 149. The price is, the at the end of the season, Pause. maybe during the season, the price is going to... Okay, so just to clarify for everybody, Ron has a, a, a thing that you can buy. It's called the Golf Course Lawn Academy. If you want to go out and buy it, I, hey, more power to you, right? More power to you. It's a, it's a collection of Ron's content that he packages up in, in a way. And listen, like in uh, the whole marketing piece, like Ron's playbook, and I'll give this to him. I'll say this is a commentary. It's built on fucking precision and discipline. And there are a whole bunch of other verticals across a whole bunch of other markets where, again, you start with authority building, you start with content marketing, then you build out courses and other things, right, that become passive income sources and all this stuff. Then you start selling products and you do these things to engage with people and you make it look really cool and fun and easy and all that kind of stuff. And listen, I get it. What he's doing is executing a business plan. He's doing it very well. But on the flip side of that, from a technical standpoint, 
it irks people like us. And I know that he'll come back and say, well, you guys just aren't smart enough to do it. You know what? We do it the way we want to do it, Ron, which is we sit here and we jaw about this shit. We don't have anybody to chop it up for us. We don't have anybody to sit there and fuck around with it because you know what? We don't have time. All we do is we put it out as it comes to us and people, you know, enjoy it. So we're not trying to monetize this bitch to make a whole bunch of money. And it is what it is. Now, that being said, Golf Course Lawn Care Anime, let's let him get a plug in here for this real quick and and we'll we'll dice this up. Go ahead. It's going to go up again. Um, it was $99, then it went up to $149. And then I'm going to be adding more content to it this season and the price will increase again. So, and the nice thing is you, you buy it at this price now, it doesn't, like, you get the new content for no additional cost, but it, it is going to go up um, over time. So when more content gets added this uh, throughout this year, it's going to go up again. But right now it is 149. You buy it once and you own Pause. it forever. As now listen, uh, we we do this is special. This is important too. I want this is kind of related, semi-related. We do know somebody that uh, dropped out their last semester in the golf course lawn academy, and uh, uh, it was in protest. It was he it got was removed. in protest. He, well, well, listen, it, it, he got th that he got the, expelled. He got expelled. The term, guys. The, 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 those, those are semantics really but he was so close and the only reason he did it though was he staged a protest because the 99 dollars version didn't include mowing and irrigation you know two things that are you know kind of fucking important to growing grass but you know whatever 99 bucks that's all the further it gets you but sean smith hey by the way sean smith loyal listener been on the show before we love this guy and uh congratulations to him and his wife they just had uh the uh, a child a, a boy a little boy so congratulations to them thank you sean uh for listening i hopefully you're not listening right now so anyway all right so let's go back to ron's whole thing about uh primo on poa and seed heads okay as long as the internet is around and you know teachable is around yeah it's uh you will have access to it there you go pause okay yeah. so listen for all of our fatalistic views about you know that the world's going to come to an end death destruction uh end of humanity all that kind of stuff hopefully teachable will be around and people will rebuild human civilization through the golf course lawn academy that's our only hope now back to the technical arguments here of of, of what ron's putting forth here related to poa ray i know you don't deal with poa a lot so let me school you real quick on what he's saying and how it's absolute motherfucking bullshit pardon my language actually, but this is fucking bad actually ryan i've uh looked into some of this whole thing about poa and pgrs yeah and i learned something horrifying i learned something that, horrifying that, because what okay here's the, long and short the golf courses that use trinexapac ethyl primarily and exclusively on their greens and fairways, they stand a high risk of converting their entire golf course to pure POA. Because here's what happens. Uh -huh. POA is not negatively or adversely affected by Trinexapac or Primo. It is not. Mm -hmm. There are, there are mm -hmm. other PGRs where you start using... The other, those other PGRs on your turf, the POA is negatively and obviously affected by those PGRs. But then I was cringing when he was telling his listeners to go spray Primo on their lawn to suppress POA annua because I know a little differently in that you do that and you might convert your entire freaking lawn to mostly poa 
if you keep it up it depends <laughs> it depends on that now so so let's let's unpack what you're saying because there is some validity there and there's some good research to back this up and i'm all about joe knows turf not just making fun of uh shills and people that pander to dumbass motherfucking bullshit again part of my language but this guy's got me fired up tonight now that all yeah. being said hmm. here's a couple of things let's talk about the uh the poa effect or the effect of uh, trinexin pack ethyl, the active ingredient primo on POA. Now, here's the thing that was understood well before, like 15, 20 years ago, right? Is that you're absolutely right. That when you regulated with primo, with trinexin pack, that bent would become more regulated than the POA would, right? And you could see mm -hmm. nominal gains, right? Year over year with POA. That was an anecdotal thing that was reported by superintendents in a lot of different locations, okay? So mm -hmm. on the flip side of that, right? Here comes uh, Bill Kreuzer and Doug Soldat, and they start doing uh, the Growing Degree Day work on poa greens, bent greens, and all this other kind of stuff. What they find out is that, yes, there is a difference, and specifically within, we talk about poa, and we're referring to poa annua, right? The annual bluegrass, right? There's also poa annua variety reptans, which is a, a, a perennial uh, type of, of annual blue variant, grass, if you yeah. want to call it annual. Yeah, it's a variant. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So mm -hmm. the other thing that we find out too through Kreuzer's research too is that Poa pretensis, Kentucky bluegrass, also has this weird effect where sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And more often than not, it doesn't, right? It doesn't have the same effect as far as growth regulation uh, and inhibition, right? Time's so up, that, that, that's what's going on is that basically through science, we figured out that, and I know Joe loves science, so we, I got to make sure I mention that S word, is <laughs> that, um, there's different regulation properties. All right, now to this with respect to seed heads, what he said is absolute total bullshit. Primo has no net effect, all right, no net effect on seed head production within POA. The way that you can do this, and I would not recommend this for any homeowners, and because especially the seed head that you're going to see more often is Kentucky bluegrass and not POA annual or annual bluegrass, right, is when you mix proxy which is ethophon as the active ingredient which is a mm -hmm. synthetic ethylene along with primo and essentially the way that that works right is that you pull back on the growth lever with the primo right and you search forward with a synthetic ethylene product with this ethophon or the proxy right and what that does is it surges the seed head production at the time where, of a critical time when it's starting to push out seed heads that that seed head becomes really really small because it's been growing so fast and the plants pulled back so much on the growth of the actual entire plant that you've made it really really small and you can't really see it and that's how you inhibit the seed head doing it with just right. primo doesn't do a goddamn thing so ron you're fucking wrong go home get that golf course lawn academy <laughs> updated i'm gonna need that on my desk tomorrow all right gentlemen any mailbag questions no none no no We're that ending. was super anticlimactic all right we're gonna end it we're gonna go here uh it's now number 69 that means we're going to 70. Uh, we crossed over 100,000 podcast downloads here, at least on the one platform that we track it on. Uh, we know that there's more, but uh, if you listen to the podcast, great. Thank you so much. If you don't and you sit there and struggle with keeping YouTube open on your phone or you're paying for YouTube premium, don't do that shit. Okay, go to Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts, go to Google Podcasts, which we talked about in the pre-show. Nobody uses Google Podcasts. Even Google Podcasts mom doesn't use Google Podcasts. But if you want to, go ahead. Surge, if you want to ban me too and kill me, fine, fine, whatever. But 
bottom line is this is go check us out on your podcast platforms review us rate us give us a comment do something like that so it gets up to the top we want to be the number one podcast in the green industry and lawn care space because you know what we're some conceited assholes we love us some us and we're better than all those motherfuckers so bye (laughs) 